one of the most um, difficult things as a pastor is being invited into some of individuals and couples' darkest moments. Like when you're invited in and it's just one of those experiences that nobody would choose, you would pray for God to remove, and you're invited into that, and you're kind of expected to know what to say or know what to do. It's even worse if you're a young pastor walking into that, and it's happened so many times now in my few years. And you're in that room, maybe it's physically a waiting room, or you're in that circumstance, or you're in that situation, and everybody's looking to you for some kind of comfort, some kind of answers, some kind of something. And yet the reality is you don't have the answers. Like you're trying to grapple with why is this going on. You don't have anything good that really you could say. I'll never forget within a couple weeks literally of becoming a pastor, like three weeks in to starting Centerpoint Church, I became the lead pastor. Uh, my wife and I were trying to renovate this townhouse. We had just been married. We bought this. It was dilapidated. It was a mess. I won't even tell you what the downstairs look like. And we had to rip out carpet. And um, being married is hard enough, like initially. I mean, maybe you had, it was just great for you, an easy ride. It was not for us. And so uh, we got married, and it was a little difficult that first year, and that's putting it um, really kindly. And then we were trying to renovate a house. I mean, there is nothing that connects to lead to divorce quicker than that. Um, it was just hard. And so we're there, and we're painting late into the night, and we're just so tired. And I get a call on my cell phone. I didn't recognize the number, but I picked it up anyway. And a voice that I didn't recognize says, hey, your um, friend Tom uh, down the street just lost his son, and he says that you're his pastor. And I was like, I, I guess. I met Tom one time. Um, I'm three weeks on the job. So, yeah, I, got, I mean, I guess I'm his pastor. And so I got Nicole, and we went down the street, and it was literally just a few blocks down to the left. It was in the same development. And I'll never forget walking into his house, and I, I have no idea what to do. I hadn't done this very long. I'm this guy's pastor, and as I walk in, everybody's there. There's family there. There's enough time for everybody to show up. Cops are there. A coroner's there. And I've got to walk to the back of this um, little condominium or townhouse and talk to Tom, and I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to do. I have no idea, like, what... Like, what do you do in those situations? And I have no answers for this guy. And I'll never forget being in there and them bringing the body of his son, 21 years old, down the stairs. And they had no idea what had happened. And it was obviously sudden and out of nowhere. And just I'm just thrust into this situation that you never want to be in. And I have no answers, none whatsoever. And that's just kind of the, the dynamic of being a pastor. But it's kind of also the nature of being a friend. Like you, you've probably, maybe not like that, but you've been in situations where you didn't ask for it and you're just kind of thrust into something with a friend or somebody that you're close to and, and you don't really know what to say, you don't really know what to do, there's really no words that you can offer that are going to make anything better, but, but you're, just, you're just there, you're just in the situation. And, and here's what I've learned in the few years since then, and unfortunately I've been in a lot of those situations. And there's something that really um, is kind of undeniable when you find yourself there. And it's just this, that in those kind of seasons, there is an undeniable connection in suffering. In fact, the connection in suffering that I'm talking about is just this, that there is a natural connection with people who have suffered deeply and who suffered similarly. 
Like there is a natural connection. Like you can be with somebody and they're going through something or they've just heard some terrible news and you're there and you're trying to comfort and you're trying to pray and you're trying to give anything that you've got shoulder to cry on. And then all of a sudden, somebody walks into that room or walks into that circumstance or walks in to that literal waiting room. And there is a connection that happens because they've also suffered deeply and they've suffered similarly to that person. And all of a sudden, everything changes. Like it doesn't matter. It really goes beyond education. It goes beyond theology. In a lot of cases, it goes beyond relationship, and there is this instant connection that happens between two people or couples where they have suffered deeply and they have suffered similarly. Here's the other thing that I've learned over these few years, and it's just this, that those who have suffered are perfectly positioned to comfort those who are suffering. That those who've walked through something, those who've experienced intense adversity, those who've experienced some kind of heartbreak that they would never choose, they are perfectly positioned or uniquely equipped to comfort those who are suffering. And again, they walk in the room and there is something that happens when somebody who has been there begins to interact somebody, somebody who is there in that moment and something powerful happens where they just, not completely because no two stories or two sufferings are the same, but they understand at some level what they're going through. There's an instant connection and there's something powerful that happens. In fact, in many cases, when you watch this happen, it is energizing, it is powerful, and it is life-giving to the person who is in that circumstance that, that that other individual has been in, maybe at a previous season in their life. Just there is some kind of connection in that. And then here's the other thing. Those who comfort others out of the comfort that they've experienced give life to those who need it. Like when somebody is in a dark place and they're struggling with all of the, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to find purpose in this. I, I think this is just pointless. I don't think I'm ever going to experience peace again. And then again, somebody walks in and they can relate. They've been there. They at some level understand what they're walking through. They understand some of their emotions and it's just life giving to their soul. Now here's the other thing that's kind of surprising and then I'll um, kind of catch this up and circle back around, but it's just this is that that comforting is also life-giving to the comforter as well. If you've ever gone through something, if you've ever experienced something, if you've ever walked through your waiting room experience and then you find somebody else who is where you were and you have the opportunity at some level to go, I, I get it at least a little bit. I understand some of the emotions. I remember some of what I felt and I just want you to know there is hope. I, I want to tell you what's happened to me through this waiting room experience. I want to tell you what God has done on the other side. And there is something powerful that actually happens happens to the comforter who is giving out comfort where they are at some level redeeming the pain and redeeming the hurt in the life or in the experience or circumstance of somebody else. There is something about it that almost gives purpose to our waiting room experience or our pain or our adversity. So if you're just joining us for this series, you're like, dang it, man, that is, that is a little heavy. So here's what we said. Let me catch you up real quick, and then um, I'll circle back around. And I think this is one of those messages where naturally the room just remains quiet the whole time, but I'll try to get you to talk back a little bit. Here's what this whole series has been about. We're just answering this question, what do you do while you're waiting? And then I'll circle back around what, to what I was just talking about. But what do you do while you're waiting? What do you do when you're in a waiting room experience defined like this, that you're in a situation where you can't solve it, you can't change it, 
It is an unresolvable situation. And in some cases, it's kind of your new normal. You don't know if it's ever going to change. You're hoping it changes, you're praying it changes, but you're just there. You feel like you've done everything you can in the marriage. They really need to change. If they don't change, I don't know if there's ever going to be reconciliation. And you're just waiting. What do you do when you're waiting when there's really nothing you can do? You're in a place where you've been hurt and you don't know if you're ever going to unwind from those emotions again. You're in a place where your educational dream has died. I mean, you're not going to medical school, at least not in this country. You are maybe not going to go to law school. What you had planned on is not going to happen. You're in a place right now where you're single and there's options, but they're not good. Or you are single and there are no options whatsoever right now, and that's almost worse. And you're just waiting, and God, come on, like, throw me a bone, do something in this. Or maybe you're in a season of life where you are far from where you thought you'd be. But you're just in a season that is unresolvable. It's your new normal, and you don't really have a way forward. Like all of your options are bad. Like you're maybe in a season right now where your option is to self-medicate, to just quit or to walk out, which isn't a good option, to look around and compare yourself to everybody else, or maybe be tempted to make a decision that's going to compound the tension and the hurt that you already feel. So what do you do when there's nothing you can do? What do you do when you're waiting and you can't solve it? Here's what we've said we're tempted to do, and that is draw really bad conclusions about God. And so one of the things we've tried to nail down in this series is just coming to the realization that God is not uncertain, that God ultimately is not inactive, that God is not angry, and that God's not forgotten you. Like we looked at week one of John the Baptist, Jesus says of him, greatest man born of woman. John the Baptist is in a prison, and Jesus is like, mm, you got to stay there, but I love you. Like, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm still, I'm for you. And yet the circumstance doesn't change for John the Baptist. And then in week two, we talked about this, is that in your season of waiting and in your adversity, it is possible, it is possible to find contentment. Not where you're like fatalistic and I'll just go with whatever. You pray and you plead for God to take it away. But Paul says, even in that, you can find contentment. And then in week three, we said this, is that, in your season of waiting, in your adversity right now, you, and this was kind of the weird message, you can go back and listen to it, but you have the option, you have the invitation to see whatever it is you are walking through and going through right now, to receive it as a gift, which sounds really weird, with a purpose and a promise. A purpose that you may never see this side of heaven, but that God is going to redeem purpose out of it and a promise. And the promise is that whatever you are facing and whatever is coming at you, if you're a follower of Christ, it is not greater and cannot overpower what is within you. That if you're a follower of Jesus, you have, the scripture says, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave, the same power of Easter weekend is literally inside of you. That Jesus' power and Jesus' strength is available to you in any waiting season. The same power that raised Christ out of a grave, the same power that defeated death, the same power that promises one day I'm going to overcome evil, I'm going to wipe away every tear, I command nature and nature obeys, I flung the 
galaxies into place. I'm coming back on a horse with a sword tatted up, and I'm going to handle injustice. I'm going to handle evil. I'm going to set everything right. I'm going to create a new heaven and a new earth. I am going to set up my kingdom as the sovereign, reigning, omniscient, omnipotent creator, God of the universe, and it's never going to be upended, and it's never going to be overcome, and I have promised you I will be with you always. There is nobody that has power, and there is nobody who has strength like Jesus' strength. And he says, in the midst of any season, whatever is coming at you, it is not greater. Come on. It is not greater than what is within you. And you have the option of seeing whatever it is. As a gift with a purpose, God's going to use it and a promise. And then last week we said this, that in your waiting season, and we just have to nail this down, God is working. And one of the ways that God is working 100% of the time is working to mature in you persevering faith. That in fact, God wants to do something extraordinary with your life. And he doesn't want to do something extraordinary in spite of your pain. He wants to do something extraordinary through your life because of the pain. Because of the waiting room season. That in many cases, your pain ultimately is preparation. And that may not be emotionally satisfying, but for some of you, it gives hope in life to know that whatever I'm going through does not terminate on itself. That God is moving. God is working. God is preparing. And most of the time, whatever platform God wants to use your life for in order to birth purpose, it's going to come out of pain. And he's never going to waste any of that pain. That whatever you're going through right now, God is moving to develop in you persevering faith. The kind of faith that other people look at you and go, how? How? How is that even possible? That God is working in your waiting. Now here's the thing. I decided to preach this series not because of, not because of what I've gone through, not because of my story, and all of us have a story. The authority behind this series, why I would even tackle this, and some of it's been a little weighty and a little heavy, including where I'm going today, but the reason I would tackle this is not because of my story. The reason I would tackle this is because every single individual throughout the scriptures, as we've said, who brought us the story of Jesus, none of them had comfortable, tidy, pretty little lives. And if anybody has ever sold you, if you just have enough faith, everything's going to work out. The only problem with that is every character and individual God used throughout the scripture. The only thing that contradicts that is the entire Bible. <laughs> the promise is, and this is what every New Testament writer says, is listen, God is good. God is going to be with you. God loves you. And we have experienced horrific tragedy. <laughs> And we have been through the waiting room seasons. The guys who, I mean, suffered more than many of us can even relate to walked through those seasons. And somehow they never felt the tension of, because I'm going through this, God isn't good. Because I'm going through this, God isn't loving. They understood that they live in a sin-infested world. And their events of their life, their circumstances, their waiting room season is not in any way an indication of God's activity, God's love, or God's goodness. And they were able to walk through seasons and they believed anyway. They walked through seasons where God wasn't answering their prayers and they maintained confidence in his goodness anyway. They walked through circumstances that are hard to even imagine and they trusted God anyway. And it's the only reason we're here. It's the reason that they toppled the Roman Empire without ever assembling an army. 
So the reason that there, I think, is weight to what we're talking about in these weeks is not because I've seen it work, not because many of you have seen it work, but based on the authority of the individuals that in many cases brought us our worldview of God, they all experienced it. One of the guys that most notably experienced this tension is Paul, and we've looked at him several times throughout this series. He wanted to stamp out and stop Christianity, then he became a Christian, and then just as he's getting rolling, God has ordained him to do the most significant thing in his generation. He's had the greatest impact on Christianity other than Jesus, and so just as his ministry is getting rolling, God basically gives him an ailment that we described as humiliating, debilitating, excruciating, permanent, like God's not going to take it away. And yet somehow through all of that, Paul pleading with God to take it away, Paul pleading with God to move him out of that waiting room experience and getting a no back from God, Paul was able to maintain faith. And he says to us in much of his writing, so can you. There, There is a way and God is working in your waiting. So as we land the plane on this series, what I want to do today is I just want to look at this this connection between what you've been through, what you've experienced, your waiting, your adversity and comfort and its connection to your purpose. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 Corinthians 1:3, are you still with me in the house? If you've got an old school Bible, you can look at it there. If you have our app, go to Media Sermon Resources or it'll be on the screen. But I'd love for you to see this. These verses that we're going to look at over the next couple minutes, some of you are going to want to come back to these. Here's what Paul says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of, meaning the source of all comfort. And here's what's really interesting to me about this. Paul writes this, and then 12 chapters later, same letter to the church in Corinth, 12 chapters later, he's hit with this thing that I just described, this painful, humiliating, debilitating, and permanent ailment, whether it was a physical thing, whether it was a mental illness, we have no idea. But whatever it was, it was dominating Paul's life. And so he says, listen, I serve a God who is the God of all compassion and the God of all comfort. And by the way, 12 chapters later, I'm going to be hit with something that does not make sense. And when I cry out and plead with God, he's going to nicely say, no, son, but I love you. See, this is the issue that some of us have with the scripture. Maybe this is why you haven't embraced the Jesus thing, because you read this right here, and because of your circumstances or the circumstances that somebody else are go- that have gone through that you've watched it go down, you read those verses and go, that's my problem right there. Like with this, with that, what I've seen done to them, to me, how could God, how could God be a God of compassion? How, how could God be a God of comfort? In fact, one of the lines that we'll use, if, if I can just say this real quick, wasn't in my notes today, but a lot of times we'll kind of come to this place to go, okay, how could a God of compassion and comfort allow pointless suffering? And can I just pause on that, that little, those two words real quick, pointless suffering? That is an unbelievable amount of blind faith in your own cognitive reasoning. Because to talk about pointless suffering is to say this, is because I can't with my, you know, whatever your story is, 2.2 GPA and 
eating Cheetos, um, throwing down my pie hole while I'm watching whatever on the TV. Because me, 2.2 GPA, cannot figure out a purpose in the universe, then there must not be a purpose in the universe. That is an unbelievable amount of faith in your cognitive reasoning. And come on, you've seen things go down in your life that you never would have chosen, that you didn't want to happen, and yet you have your own story, whether you factor in the Jesus thing or not, that that thing actually led you to be at a place where you're thriving in your business. That thing that you wouldn't have chosen actually made you a better parent. That thing that you didn't want to go down actually strengthened your relationships later down the road. I mean, all of us regardless of your faith, have those stories. And so Paul's just like, listen, there is a way to maintain faith in a good and compassionate God in the midst of your adversity. And here's what the word comfort in the Greek means. This is not like arm around somebody or or hugging somebody. This is a much more powerful word that actually means comfort that brings power, that brings courage, that brings change, and that brings the resolve to keep going. And Paul's like, I just want you to know I believe in this God. And I've suffered more than some of you are ever going to suffer. And I've been through some seasons that I didn't choose. Twelve chapters later, you're going to read about one. And yet God was compassionate to me and God comforted me every step of the way, even when he decided he wasn't going to change my circumstances. And then Paul says this, verse 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, verse 4, who comforts us in all our troubles. Now, real quick, when you are in trouble, what do you pray for? It's not a trick question. When you are in trouble, what do you pray for? Help. You do not pray for comfort. When you're in trouble, you're like, no, no, God, get me out of it. God, change her. God, do something. He's off the rails. God, make it better. God, lead me to the other side. But when you're in trouble, you pray that God takes it away. You don't pray for comfort. And Paul's like, he is the one who comforts us in all of our troubles. Meaning, we said this earlier in the series, you have permission to ask God to remove the trouble. And God has permission to say no. And you're standing with God and your faith in God on the authority of the scriptures. They don't require a yes. And Paul is saying, listen, when I'm in that trouble, that marriage, that job, that educational thing, the dreams dying, the hurt, what was done to me, I don't know the way forward. When I'm in the midst of that and I pray and I plead and God says yes, I'm going to receive God's comfort. And when I'm in the midst of that thing and I'm praying and I'm pleading and I'm asking God and God lovingly says, no, I'm going to receive God's comfort. That either way, if I allow myself to receive it and position myself for it, God is going to comfort me either out of it or he's going to comfort me through it. Now, here's the thing that's so important. You have got to position yourself and you've got to receive it. I don't know if this example holds up, but the best example I could think of is my almost four-year-old little dude who I see so much of myself in him, including when he gets hurt in some way. He gets, I mean, his first response is to get angry at inanimate objects. So if he trips over something like a car in the middle of a house, I mean, he'll just beat the crap out of the car and throw it across the room. I mean, he just goes nuts. 
he's got some anger issues from his mama that we're still <laughs> trying to work on. But for real. For real. But he will, like, he'll hurt himself. He'll hit his hand. He's just, immediately he gets mad at whatever the object was that hurt him. And again, this doesn't hold up completely, but I'm like, dude, you've got to call. Like, I can't help him. I can't, like, number one, because I don't want him to punch me, but I just got to let him calm down. As long as he's getting angry and shaking his fist and throwing his cars across the room, I, I just can't help him. And in our relationship with God, you're like, man, oh, I've been through some things. I don't really feel like I've been comforted. In many cases, because you've not moved yourself into a place where you can receive it and you haven't positioned yourself for it. Here's the reality. Most of the time, God's comfort is going to come through other people. And until you set yourself up for that, the thing that God wants to do to reveal his tangible presence in your life is not going to come through your prayer time. It's going to come through another person. And you've got to stop shaking your fist at him and nail some things down, even in the midst of your heartbreak and uncertainty to go, God, I'm asking that you would take away the trouble. But if you don't or until you do, I'm asking you to comfort me in it. And Paul says you can count on that every single time if you will position yourself and you will receive it. He who comforts us, God, in all of our troubles, so that. Okay, so there's a purpose. And the purpose is so I'm going to be comforted. So I'm going to feel better. So it's going to make this bearable. Mm -mm. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can. And in the Greek it means so that we will be empowered and we will be enabled to do something. And immediately we think, so I'm empowered to get the heck out of what I'm experiencing right now. So I am enabled to somehow fix this and it gets better. That I am empowered to somehow make this whole craziness go away. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can be empowered, be enabled to comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. And right there, if you're just honest, because a lot of you lie in church so much, this is the place where you're like, well, no, God, I want you to change it. I don't want to receive your comfort through it. Like these are some of the verses that are kind of uncomfortable. I just, I'm not, I, Paul, no. No, no, we can come, so we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we receive from God. God, and Paul's like, you just need to know, I, I believe in this God. I believe he's good. I believe he's compassionate. If you looked at my circumstance, it may be hard for you to figure that out, but I just believe it. And God has been with me every step of the way. And God will comfort whether he decides to lead me through it or whether he decides to lead me out of it. And he has done it for the purpose of not just me, not just my comfort, not just me feeling better, but the purpose of what he wants to do in the lives of other people around me. It is not comfort just to terminate on myself or my circumstance. In its essence, God has given me a stewardship. He has handed me a baton for the sake of other people. Like he, here's how I would summarize what Paul is saying. It's just this. God comforts us so that we can comfort other people. Because you're kind of quiet. Let's say this together real quick. I just want to know you're with me right here. God comforts us. So, all right, one more time. God comforts us so that we can comfort and then the second thing is this, if this makes sense, is that God comforts us through other people to comfort others. 
that God's presence, God's manifestation of his power, and in most cases, is going to be through relationship. And then Paul says this, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also, meaning in the same way, our comfort abounds through Christ. And here, here's what he, he's saying, sufferings of Christ, meaning that when Jesus touched down to planet earth, he was 100% God, but he was also 100% human without sin, meaning he experienced abandonment. He experienced family dysfunction. He experienced being betrayed. He experienced hurt. He experienced excruciating moments that he actually asked his father to somehow lead him out of. He experienced death. He experienced the torture of a situation that you would never ask for and you would never wish on somebody else. And so what Paul's saying is just as Christ and his sufferings is paralleled with our sufferings, meaning every time we're abandoned, we have, unlike any other religion in the world, we have a suffering Savior. Hebrews says, who empathize with us so that when we go through it, our Savior, Jesus, can go, I get it. I understand. I've been there. I know what that feels like. And so just as there is a parallel between those sufferings, we also in the same way, have his comfort that abounds to us through Christ, which just means this because it's kind of a complex in the Greek verse. But here, here's the bottom line is that our capacity to comfort is determined by the extent that we've suffered. That our capacity to comfort, our capacity, if you want to use this word ministry, is determined by the extent that we've suffered. Like, have you ever been in a dark place? Have you ever been in a situation? Maybe you're there right now, and, and there's people around you that are trying to be there for you and encourage you and speak something into your life, and you just have this feeling of nobody understands. That's true. But have you ever been in a situation like that where then someone walks in who has suffered deeply and similarly in the same ways? They have a very similar story and they have been where you are. And when they walk into the room or into that circumstance, it's different, isn't it? Your capacity to comfort is determined by the extent that you have suffered. And Paul's going, listen, God is going to meet you in your darkness. God's going to meet you in your waiting room season. God is going to be there when you are walking through this adversity. Not so simply the comfort can terminate on you, but so that at some point along the way, whether you choose it or whether you're thrust into it, you can walk into a waiting room season and say, I don't understand all of it because all suffering is different, but I have suffered deeply and similarly in the same way, and I understand. And there is hope. And God can do something through this. And God can redeem purpose out of this. And I'm not telling you that because I have a verse. I'm telling you that because I've experienced it. Your capacity to comfort is determined by the extent that you suffer. Can I just tell you this uncomfortable thing? You can tune me out the rest of this message and then just show up for arrows. It'll be happier. Can I just tell you this real quick? Your greatest impact is generally birthed out of your most intense pain. The moment you say, you should just have a heads up on this, God, I want you to do something significant with my life, it will involve pain. 
that in most cases, vision and purpose and all that God wants to do, and I'm not saying that he created it, I am saying he is going to use it, but your greatest impact is going to be birthed out of your deepest pain. A.W. Tozer says this, it's so uncomfortable. For a man or a woman to be used greatly by God, he must first be wounded deeply. And God will not waste a single one of those hurts. And God will not waste a single bit of that pain. As I look at my own life, as I was going over these verses and this passage, like it just hit me that whatever little impact that I've had, like anything God's done in my life to influence, you know, one or two other people, I, I think it hasn't been on this stage. Like as I thought about myself and my wife, the three things that God has used most significantly through our lives have involved death, mental illness, and an incurable disease. That, that the greatest moments of sitting and praying and in some way impacting other people, they've always surrounded those things. In fact, even, even the birth of the vision for this church came out of some, some pain and some hurt. That generally what God wants to do in that pain will be the greatest ministry platform. And so Paul says our capacity to comfort, to minister, for God to do something is going to be determined by this, the extent to which we have suffered. And then he says this in verse 6. And if we're distressed, this is Paul's team who, I mean, if you read it, experience craziness. If we are distressed, and we are, it is for your comfort and your salvation. This is Paul's talking. And you're like, what? Like, yeah, yeah, I've been bitten by a snake. I was shipwrecked. I was in house arrest. I was stoned at one point with rocks, just to clarify. I, I had all kind of craziness happen. And at some level, it is for you. It is for your comfort. It is for your benefit. And then he says this, if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Meaning, because of what we've been there, we can walk in and go, listen, we, we under, at some level, we understand. At some level, I just want you to know, because of what I've been through, Paul says, there is hope. I've experienced it. God can work through this, and God can sustain you through this. And it produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer, meaning, we are receiving comfort, and Paul says we have, so that we can hand it on to others. It is not just for our benefit. And then verse 7, and our hope for you is firm, because we know, we are certain, we don't doubt at all. We know that just as you share in our sufferings, just as there's a parallel, so also you'll share in our comfort. As we land the plan on this series, here's the thing for some of you who don't even believe. I think there's still something in this that, that these, these words, these verses can be so life-giving, even if you're still trying to figure out the Jesus thing. But for some of you, you need to walk out of here and you need to go find a Bible that you can highlight and underline, or you need to go download the YouVersion Bible app, or you need to go find this on our app where all the scripture is, and you need to just begin to pour over these verses until they move from your head to your heart, because for some of you, these verses will be everything. And I'll tell you why. Because for some of you, as you begin to pour over these, these verses will begin to be the place where you will start to find the initial purpose to some of your pain. 
In fact, for some of you, as you, you begin to allow these to saturate inside of you, this will be the first step in discovering and answering, not fully, you're not going to fully answer the question, but it will be the first step in answering some of the questions that you've had of, God, why? And why didn't you? And why didn't you answer? And why didn't you intervene? And I'm telling you, as you pour over these, this is going to be the initial understanding of part of your purpose. And this is going to be the first step in at least partly answering some of the questions that God is working in your waiting. God will redeem this pain. God will do something through the hurt. God is going to use this and position you to create a ministry platform to minister to other people out of this thing that you never would have chosen. 1 Corinthians 1.3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So that purpose statement, we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. If you're in the waiting room right, right now, if you're walking through something, if you've just come on the other side of something, you are to comfort those who need comforting with the comfort that you've received. I think of some friends of ours that, that walked through one of the most horrific things that you can ever imagine that, I, that I, I just cannot wrap my mind around in losing one of their kids. And there was um, pain, and obviously it changes your life forever in a way I can't understand. And they began to get involved with several support groups and they began over a period of time to just use their story. And one of the things they said is this, that I just, it's just hard for me to comprehend. I wanna be light to parents. This is a couple that has gone through the loss of their child. I wanna be a light to parents that have lost children. And however that light can shine, I'm up for it. What? It's a friend of mine that went through a, a terrible divorce that was stretched out about five years and walked through them with this all, all the way. I mean, just, it just was absolutely unbelievable. And they know the pain and the horrifying nature that divorce can be. And yet on the other side of that divorce, they have ministered to, they have been there, they've held the hands of so many individuals walking through the same thing that they've walked through. And they are uniquely equipped to walk in and go, I don't fully know your situation, but I know a little bit about what you're experiencing. It's a friend of ours that uh, attends and serves every single weekend. And they have an adult child that has struggled with drug addiction for going on a little over a decade. And, mu and multiple times they'll get calls of they left another rehab center. We don't know where they're at. They'll literally come in to serve at one of our services and lead. And they're like, yeah, it's another weekend where we don't know. We don't know where our, our child is. We don't know if they're still alive. And I've, I've watched them in the midst of the waiting room, like coming in and they don't have it all solved. There hasn't been a bow wrapped around their situation. And I've watched them cry and pray with other couples and other individuals whose kids are going through the exact same thing because they are uniquely equipped and uniquely qualified to go, listen, I have been there, I am there. And even in the midst of this, it is unbelievable. Christ has given me hope and there is hope. It's our friend that, 
that over and over again serves in a small group and constantly, if they're available, they want to have foster kids in their group because they have experienced foster care. And one of the statements they make over and over again is, like, we just understand. I, I understand. And I want to minister to as many of them as I can because I know what that season is like and it's so powerful to me. I want to be an example of a loving heavenly father to a lot of kids who may never have an earthly father. It's, a, it's my wife I mentioned earlier in this series who the first year of our, our marriage was diagnosed with mental illness and our world was falling apart and um, we didn't know how that was going to end. We didn't know if our marriage would survive and and during that time, there was nobody that we knew of that had experienced the same things. I know they were out there, but the church didn't really talk about it. And so we felt so alone. And I watched over years, I watched my wife counsel and learn and study and heal. And God hasn't fully taken it away, but, but I've seen God do something unbelievable in her heart and her life. And now she's in the process of writing a book with her story because there's so many people that are in the same place to go, has anybody gone through this before? And she has comforted so many people literally around the country. And her whole desire is, I walked through that so alone and so desperate and God has comforted me. God has healed over the years. And I just want to give that and extend that to other people. Or it's my parents, and I mentioned them earlier, but I can't, who lost their, their son at 27 years old, my brother Chris, and I'll never forget my dad walking into a room one time, and um, I, don't, I don't remember what it was about, but everybody was kind of giving introductions, and I'll never forget him making the statement of, yeah, I have, I have five children, and one of them is in heaven. And to other people, if you, you lose a child, it's always, well, it happened, you know, years ago. But if you're a parent that's lost a child, it, it is always fresh. It is always real. It, it never, ever leaves you. And my dad and mom have influenced my life. Um, it's not even close, more than anybody um, in my life. And whatever God's done through me, it is a direct result of them other than Jesus. And yet I've watched their most profound ministry for two decades happen when they walk into living rooms with parents who suffered a similar thing. And they're able to say, I don't get the whole story, but, but we understand. And there is hope. And it is not pointless to keep living. So can I just tell you this? Do not rob somebody else of what God has done in you and through you in the midst of that waiting season. And do not rob yourself. Because listen, pain is just pain until you allow God to use and turn that pain into purpose. Some of you have walked through something and your pain is just dormant. It's just stayed there. And God is literally inviting you to go, listen, I've done something through that pain. I've met you in that pain. I've comforted you in that pain. And so now I want you to take that dormant pain that is just pain until you decide, God, I want you to leverage it. God, I want you to use it. I want you to move me into the lives of other individuals who have suffered deeply and similarly in the same ways. And I want you to give and breathe life, not just into them, but into me. I want you to revive and do something in my soul. And I'm telling you, Paul is on to something. Some of you have experienced it. When you take that deepest, darkest, I would never choose it. I wish God would or had taken it away, but I'm going to move into the spaces and places with other people to go. I get it. At some level, I understand there is hope. God can move. God can 
can bring salvation and rescue out of this. And it's not pointless to keep going. And it does something in you to redeem something that otherwise seems pointless. And Jesus is inviting you to go, I want to do something through it. I want to use it. It's why you need to go to next steps during this service at some point. Some of you have moved to a place. Can I just say this in love and hopefully you receive it in love? Some of you, and I'm talking to those of you who follow Jesus for a lot of years, you know a lot. The rest of you, I'm not talking to you. But there is an accountability to what you've experienced in your life. And you are so apathetic and lazy with your faith. And you're not in a position to connect with anybody. You play a socio-cultural game where you sit in a row, you go your way, and it is so selfish. And God wants to do something in the lives of other people through what he has done in you. And he wants to do something in you. And so you need to connect in community. You need to get into a community group. You need to position yourself so that God can begin to redeem and restore the pain that you've experienced for the sake of other people. And I'm telling you, it's a decision. You have to decide to do it. And then God will begin the process. But do not waste what God has done. And then I just want to say this as we close for some of you who are going, okay, this is why I can't embrace the Jesus thing. I'm much, I, I connect much better with just, just have enough faith and God will do it. The only thing is reality gets in the way of that. But if you're in a place to go, I, this is just what I struggle with. Here's what you need to know. And I think there's so much weight to this. There's a bunch of crazy people in this room and listening and watching online and listening on radio. And they have been through some circumstances that are unbelievable. And they've experienced some pretty intense tragedy. And they have, they have walked through some waiting room seasons, sometimes for decades. And they've believed God anyway. And they have maintained confidence in God anyway. And they have trusted their heavenly father anyway. And they understand that what they have received from God, the comfort they received, has not been for them to bury it, but to pass it on and walk into those circumstances and seasons to go, at some level, I get it, and there is hope, and God can see you through this, and it is not pointless to keep going. And so I just want to end with this. Your greatest pain will become your greatest platform to fulfill your purpose if you allow God to use it. And here's what I believe about what Paul said when he said that he put the ch God put the church together as he uses the term supporting ligament, as a household. He uses the picture of a body, and each body part plays a role. That God's placed you as a strategic part of this thing called the church, and you have an indispensable role and part, meaning there are some hands that only you can hold. There is some hurt that only you can relate to. And I believe literally what Paul said, that at some level, humanly, there is some healing that can only come through you. And so if you're at a place right now where you're in a waiting room season and you are tempted to believe that you will never experience peace again and that God cannot produce anything good out of this and it is pointless to keep going and keep trying, nothing could be further from the truth. And God you can lead you to a place to experience peace again. And God can produce something good. And there is a reason to keep going. All over the house, would you just stand with me? I want to end with what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, another letter he wrote to a Philippian church. And here's what he said, being confident of this. Dude, being confident, you've been shipwrecked, you've been stoned, you've been bitten, you've been put in house arrest in prison. No, 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 no. I'm confident of this. 
that he who began a good work in you and me will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And a part of that is your waiting room season. And you may be surprised, but God is not surprised. And you may be uncertain, but God is not uncertain. And your heavenly Father will birth purpose for a platform to use this hurt and this pain, not only in your own heart and life, but in the heart and life of other people if you will simply trust him. And the reality is, and it's shouted like a megaphone throughout the scripture, is that God is working in your waiting. Would you guys all over the house just pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for what you've done through this series and through your words and your inspiration through the writings of Paul to give us something so profound and so powerful in the midst of our seasons of adversity and waiting. And I just pray that in this moment, whether you decide to remove us from it or whether you decide to lead us through it, that God, for many of us, as a result of these last few weeks and the deposit of the power of the Spirit of God, the great comforter, that we would come to a place even today to believe in faith that, God, you are working and that you can be trusted and that, God, you would give us the wisdom to know what to do and then you would give us the courage to do it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.